everyone. Welcome to our We and the Kathy Show. I'm your host, Kathy Zhang. Today, I will bring you a very special and inclusive, uh, exclusive interview with uh, Professor Miles Yu, who was the principal China policy and the planning advisor to former uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And now he's a professor of uh, military history in the modern China at the Naval Academy in Maryland and uh, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute, as well as a visiting scholar at the Hoover, uh, oh, before it's the Hudson Institute, and uh, also a visiting scholar at uh, the Hoover Institution. So he's going to discuss the current status of the U.S.-China relations. He also addressed the ties between the Biden family and the Chinese government. How does he view that uh, and more? So please stay with uh, me and uh, to watch this very special interview. So I think you're going to uh, get a lot of information from that. So before we start, please uh, make sure you subscribe to our channel and uh, click the uh, bell and also click the like if you do love our shows. So, uh, all right. So, yeah, and uh, uh, I see a Beaumont Michaels, Ziyou. Wow, you still remember that, the Chinese character I taught you, right? Freedom, Ziyou. I'm very impressed you still remember. So, yeah, I feel so glad. And uh, on the farm, good evening to you, to all. So before we uh, start this topic, I just want to show you a very you know, brief thing. And let's show this image. This image is, um, do you know what's that? This exposed the civilian scale by the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, this, Part, uh, this graph is from uh, New York Times. So this is from one of more than 10, uh, 100,000 Chinese government bidding documents examined by the New York Times that exposed the scale and the scope of the Chinese Communist government's surveillance system. The documents reveal how Chinese policy stored over 2.5 billion 2.5 billion facial images at any given time and have sought technology to record audios of people's voice in a 300-foot radius of surveillance cameras. They further show that 25 out of China's 31 provinces and regions have made DNA databases, including by collecting the DNA of individuals who have not been convicted of any crime. The purpose of the technology was, according to one police bidding document, controlling and managing people. And there are also other documents you know, showing they are actually collecting DNA from the American people, American public. So that's what we are facing, you know, this oh, threat from China. So now um, let's go to my interview with Miles Yu uh, to talk about this um, threat we are facing right now. So Miles, welcome to our show. Uh, thank you for having me. 
So first of all, I wanted to ask uh, Miles, um, how do you read the current status between the U.S.-China and what's the most important thing to address for the U.S. in terms of the China policy? I think uh, with the um, outbreak of the war in Ukraine, international politics has uh, been reshaped uh, in a way that um, we have not seen since the end of Cold War. Uh, it happened this way. We keep saying that um, uh, the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party to the free world is not a just a struggle between China and the United States. It's China versus the world. It's really, really uh, an, an epic uh, uh, fight between freedom and tyranny. Uh, that sounds a little bit uh, too abstract, but uh, with the advent of the war in Ukraine, it became very acute and is very concrete. And that is, uh, um, Russia and China have become very close. And these two countries were very unique in one particular way. That is, uh, those were two remaining civilization states. Now, the concept of civilization states is very important. That is, uh, uh, it is uh, um, uh, the, uh, a civilization state basically uh, based its territorial claim of other countries, not on uh, nation state sovereignty. Rather, uh, it focuses on ethnic linguistic heritage. Uh, in other words, if you speak Russian, therefore I own you. And China have the same kind of mentality, right? So those were civilization state. Uh, I think, you know, uh, when we say the epic struggle between freedom and the tyranny, and we see China and Russia represent uh, tyranny, and the rest of the free world are, uh, uh, are forming a uh, coalition of freedom. Uh, this is important because uh, you see this in the NATO uh, summit, you see this in America's uh, new posture in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, and so I think uh, the world politics in the last half a year uh, has gone through a dramatic change. And the United States and, and uh, has become more crystally clear on where the U.S.-China uh, relationship stands. And that is uh, uh, U.S. has firmed up its, uh, its alliances, both in Europe and in Asia, and China has also formed up its alliance with Russia and then other malign uh, actors. And so uh, uh, China said uh, this is a new Cold War, uh, perhaps. Uh, and, uh, but the, uh, the reason is not because the West, Western democracies and the Asian democracies want to have a Cold War with China. China itself provoked such a war and the uh, West has to respond. So uh, if, you, if you claim vast swaths of territories of other countries uh, uh, based upon historical nihilism and ethno-linguistic uh, claims. And then, of course, uh, 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 democracies have to push back. So that's the reason why uh, um, I think a U.S.-China relationship is, uh, uh, once again, at a crossroads. And this crossroads, actually, uh, in my view, is a very good one because it crystallized the, uh, the, uh, the uh, demarcation uh, of the two political uh, models of governance, right? China and the, the, the democracies. Hmm. 
So how do you read the current status between the U.S. and uh, then, uh, as you mentioned, uh, in general terms, both the Republicans, Democrat parties uh, in the United States have realized the greatest threat is the Chinese Communist Party government, the party. However, just uh, in terms of policy and the strategy, what do you think needs to be done in face of such type of threat? Um, that's a very good question. I mean, one of the things that you see that actually happening uh, all across the globe is to reshuffling of alliances, right? NATO expanded because Russia is invading a sovereign country. China said, Russia, good job. So you see countries like, uh, you know, Sweden and Finland. I mean, Sweden is a country uh, with uh, more than 200 years of neutrality, right? So they give up neutrality and join the collective uh, mutual defense alliance um, called NATO. So that's pretty historic. Uh, in Asia Pacific, it's the same thing. You know, you see uh, uh, the formation of uh, uh, alliance. Uh, quad is important, but a qu we have now gone beyond quad. Uh, we're talking about Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Korea, Japan, and many other democracies, right? So, uh, and they're linking up with NATO. So uh, you see the global, the formation of a global alliance. I call it North Atlantic Indo-Pacific Treaty Organization, NIPTO. So I think that's very real. It's within reach now. Um, that's very concrete. Uh, with this uh, 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 being said, and then you can see something even more concrete, uh, that is the impetus to push back against China's expansion has become much more robust. China wants to, uh, um, to have a security pact with the uh, South Pacific Islands, for example. The West reacted very, very strongly, and uh, we have that uh, squelched. And the United States has strengthened its diplomatic, uh, military, and economic presence in the South Pacific, along with our uh, friends and allies in that region, most prominently Australia and New Zealand. So I think those, those specific events uh, triggered by the war in Ukraine uh, uh, have crystallized the, uh, the the formation of different alliances over there. So I think that's pretty good for the world because it cast away a lot of illusions and uh, indolence and hesitancy uh, become very clear uh, where, uh, where uh, each country stands. So uh, one thing uh, many people are concerned about is uh, how the Chinese Communist Party corrupt and sometimes collude with uh, you know, uh, for example, the relationship between the Biden family and the Chinese government, as well as, you know, some other establishments or elites with the Chinese Communist Party. So people are wondering if the Biden administration can be as forceful as, in, as necessary when dealing with the Chinese Communist government. So, Miles, how do you see that? I think... Um this actually is a very positive development because we're now super vigilant about China's infiltration of American ruling elite. And China has an elite capture approach, uh, mostly through um, United Front, right, Tongzhan. And that has been very, very uh, effective uh, over the decades. It not only affected Americans' uh, federal level policy formulation, but also has fundamentally um, uh, impacted the sub-national um, level um, uh, in the United States. 
the states, the local governments are also affected by that through Confucius Institutes and a lot of uh, uh, sub-national economic engagements. And they all have political strings attached to that. So I think, you know, the, the, the talk about Biden family's tie with China, obviously um, there is a, there are opportunities, uh, hopefully in the near future, to sort it through, to become more transparent. Um, and I think, you know, uh, right now it's just speculation, right? But we also have uh, another way of doing this. American political process is very complicated. And uh, so all the issues will be um, clarified or clear up um, one way or another uh, through um, legal or, um, uh, or congressional processes, right? Um, the hearings and the court filings. Uh, and I think you know, this is a good thing. On the details of the Biden family's connection with China, um, I'm not going to be uh, commenting in detail because I, I do believe um, in the near future um, things will become clear. Yeah, and uh, that reminds us of that um, National Security Council a few days ago gave notice to the local and the state government officials as well as to you know businesses to remind them that the Chinese Communist government is trying to collude and corrupt them. It all started with the one very important speech given by Secretary Pompeo in February 2020. And um, I was involved in, in drafting that speech. And I think, you know, he spoke at the National Governance Association uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, I was there as he delivered the speech. And uh, he sent a very strong um, um, warnings to, to our nation's governors um, about China's uh, infiltration and, uh, at the sub-national levels. I think a lot of governors took, this, uh, took notice of that, and we get a lot of feedback from them afterwards. Uh, right now, obviously, uh, it's not only become a policy issue, it has become a law enforcement issue, right? The Justice Department is actively uh, pursuing um, suspicious cases uh, uh, through the legal process of the United States. I think that's a very good. I mean, I think as long as the world takes notice, um, and uh, um, and I think, you know, um, Chinese Communist parties. Uh, march into Western democracy uh, probably is not going to be as roseate as they expect. Hmm. So let's switch to China. For China to have a positive change, many people believe that uh, the most essential factor uh, or the things to happen is for the Chinese people to uh, rise up. And according to Miles, your knowledge about the situation in China, what would you like to tell our audience? Okay, so that's something I sh want to show you, uh, but uh, Miles, you will talk about what this is about. This is the uh, Chinese national anthem by the Communist Party, and uh, he referred to that. You know, um, uh, the first line of a Chinese national anthem, the March of Volunteers, Yi Yong Jun Jin Chu, goes like this. Arise, those who 
who refuse to be slaves. Uh, 起来，不愿做奴隶的人们。That line has to be sung repeatedly because that's what what's what's ultimately matters, right?、Uh, I think right now、uh, there is a prevailing thinking. I think is misguided. That is.、Uh, As long as the Chinese top leadership、uh, makes some changes, and、uh, Xi Jinping steps down, some other reformers show up, and to lead the nation, things will get better.、Uh, that's not going to happen uh, because uh, remember,、uh, before Xi Jinping took over,、uh, he was regarded as a reformer, and and he was considered as, as a better alternative to Hu Jintao.、Uh, when Hu Jintao、uh, took over. Uh, CCP. He was considered as better alternative to the very、uh, stubborn and ideologically stringent、uh, Jiang Zemin.、Uh, before Jiang Zemin took over, he was considered as a better alternative to the butcher of Tiananmen, Deng Xiaoping. And Deng Xiaoping came to power, and he was considered as the great hope uh, uh, of China, a, a very benign alternative to Mao Zedong. Right. So it goes on and on. Mao Zedong was, of course, was considered as the better alternative to Jiang Kai-shek. In 1940s, so this is all illusions. I mean, this is all China's problem is the very political and ideological system, communist China, communism. Unless you have a systemic institutional change, there will be no real future uh, uh, for for the Chinese people.、Uh, so that's why, uh, um, and uh, I think the ultimate, the ultimate.、Uh, Impetus for change in China, not comes from above at top, but from the bottom. That's people's power.、Uh, that's why the slaves, who the Chinese people who refuse to be slaves, should rise, just as Chinese national anthem says. Yeah, and I just want to make a note: the previous clip that we showed to you, people are chanting the、uh, PRC's、uh, national anthem. Is was from the. People who the depositors remember the depositors、uh, to the Hunan of the Hunan、uh, village bank banks when they were protesting they were singing this and ironically you know Chinese communist government always want them to sing that to support the、uh, Chinese communist government's、uh, ruling but now this time people are singing that to go against. It's ruling. So then, you know, this July marks the brutal persecution of the spiritual practice of Falun Gong in China.、Uh, as a matter of fact, today in Washington D.C., in front of the Capitol Hills and the,、um, the lawns, and Falun Gong practitioners from all around the United States did a demonstration. Again, it's an annual appeal、uh, to the general public. To Washington is to help stop the persecution of Falun Gong in China. So, Miles, what do you think the impact of this? I think this is you know China's brutal crackdown and a, a continuous、uh, suppression against Falun Gong、uh, is a very emblematic of China's political repression as a whole. So,、uh, Falun Gong obviously is、um, is the uh, uh, the obvious victim of Chinese、uh, dictatorship, but you can see, you know, there's also、uh, the Uyghurs, there's also religious uh, 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 practitioners of all kinds.、Um, so, China's repression is 
is total and holistic. So that's why I think you know, uh, um, in post-communist China, uh, the first thing that Chinese people should do is to set up a Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, to figure out um, who was responsible for all these crimes um, and the genocide under communist regime. Uh, this is very important uh, to, uh, for people, for a nation, uh, because you need accountability. You need to hold these people responsible. Um, and uh, uh, that's what happened uh, in South Africa. That's what happened in most countries in Eastern Europe before those countries um, march into future prosperity and democracy. Because you have to really reconcile what happened decades ago under this brutal dictatorship. Um, you know, one of the first things, the, the uh, first step of Taiwanese uh, uh, democracy is to have a, a, a national reconciliation of what happened uh, um, on 28th of February, uh, 1947 at the Arab, right? So uh, um, a country cannot become healthy uh, unless those injustice uh, is corrected. Uh, uh, so, um, so I think, you know, um, uh, uh, the continued uh, repression of Falun Gong is one of the first things that uh, um, uh, people uh, should take action to redress um, uh, in the post-communist China. And recently, the Hudson Institute in Washington, D.C. established a new China center. And Miles, you as the senior fellow there, uh, is, uh, leading to, uh, is leading the center. So what can you tell us about this initiative? Well, China Center is set up uh, under Hudson and, um, and uh, to uh, do a number of things, right? One of the most important things that we try to do is to provide a unique policy voice and uh, to basically, you know, um, uh, strengthen the existing policy consensus uh, across the nation um, in the United States on China, on CCP. So, uh, and this consensus is nonpartisan and also bipartisan at the same time, because both Democrats and Republicans, liberal and uh, conservatives, or so anywhere in between, they all reach near national consensus on the nature and the danger uh, uh, of Communist Party um, to this democracy and to the world peace. So uh, that is a, a very, very rare in U.S. history. I mean, the United States is a basically 50-50 country, right? So everything is divided right in the middle. Um, so, um, and, but on China, is near 100%. And so this is one of the things that the China Center is trying to do. Of course, we have another uh, initiative of projects, and uh, I'd rather just uh, um, uh, not say much uh, at this point because we just started. Um, uh, and I think you know um, it's a great project, and I'm honored and uh, and very delighted to be able to direct such a great institute. All right, so that's Mao Zedong, the former uh, you know chief China policy. Um, advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So, and uh, we all understand that during the Trump administration and under uh, uh, Mike Pompeo's lead with Professor Mao Zedong's advice, the U.S.-China policy had a very sharp turn, and uh, which also just uh, 
you know, people will see how much of a legacy it has left. Um, it has been impacting uh, what will, is going on right now and will be going on uh, between the US, China, and uh, also the world. So I think a lot of people are looking forward to this uh, China policy, uh, China Center, and newly established by the um, Hudson Institute, and uh, what it will do, and uh, what kind of the impact it will have uh, to uh, the United States in terms of how to deal with the uh, CCP's threat. So what do you think? Do you have any uh, thoughts after watching his interview and uh, do you have any questions or uh, thoughts on you know what he thought uh, what he said so would love to see your comments there all right so uh, yeah in terms of uh, let me see um, books that ironic for now and uh, on the farm say yes the lyrics are ironic and uh, Book said, oh, the awakening is happening. Yes, so um, yeah, we can just uh, uh, watch that uh, clip again, if we can, the, how the protesters are singing the uh, national anthem of the PRC. But, uh, you know, this lyric really shows how the Chinese Communist Party really, you know, um, deceived Chinese people to support them in 1949 to take over the power. And uh, they are saying, oh, stand up, those people who don't want to be enslaved anymore. In fact, the Chinese Communist Party has been enslaving the Chinese people for the past seven decades. But now, indeed, you know, with all the things happening, with the lockdown, uh, with the zero COVID policy, with the uh, meltdown of the real estate market and the financial institution, as well as um, you know, like uh, how the the women were just chained, the chained women in China. All these things have been waking people up in China. Uh, however, one thing that uh, I wanted to point out, um, if you remember the clip that we show you when people are protesting, the depositors protesting in front of the uh, Hunan banks. They, some of them are still showing like the PRC's flag because in their mind it represents China, but in fact it represents uh, the Chinese Communist Party's ruling. So people in China, because they are so much brainwashed, you know, on one hand, some people are awakening, they are rising up. On the other hand, a lot of their concepts, their way of thinking are still uh, very much under the Chinese Communist Party's control. It takes time, but uh, I think overall, we do see some kind of awakening in China, which is a positive development. So, um, Book said, you said, uh, I like Mr. Yu's seeming optimis op optimism. Yes, that's also my impression of um, Professor Miles Yu. He's a very positive person. And uh, I, I think it's, um, it's a good thing, especially under you know, the current climate and a lot of um, dis distressing things are happening. But his optimistic optimism does not like come from nowhere from my 
conversation with him. So I think he does bring a positive kind of um, uh, you know, impression to people and give people uh, some hope. He did a, a very a wonderful, excellent speech in uh, Bay Area, uh, talk, uh, talking about the relationship and the, um, the future of the interaction between Taiwan, U.S., and China, which, you know, and he answered a lot of questions. So it was, uh, you know, I learned a lot from that speech. Uh, it is in Chinese, though. Uh, we'll see in the future, maybe we, we can share some of the contents. But uh, overall, you know, he's a very positive person. He knows a lot about China. He knows a lot about United States and the geopolitical, um, you know, situation. Uh, but uh, I think we do need um, some positivity, right? And um, book, you you said I agree. It's very good to find good outcomes from these troubles. That's a good business practice, indeed. I think you know we should keep positive. Uh, there is hope, um, and the uh, the only thing that the main thing that the authoritarian regimes like the CCP, what they want the most, is for people in the free world. For example, in the United States, people lose hope uh, about for you know for their future, lose hope uh, about the system, right? The system is not perfect. However, uh, we have a way to improve that. But the most important thing is people get engaged. People still, you know, have the positive, you know, um, yeah, outlook, positive attitude. Uh, no matter what's happening. You know, think about the Falun Gong practitioners in China and around the world in facing of this 23 years of oppression. They are so calm, but so persistent, right? And uh, so this, I think, actually what's really giving people, a lot, lot of people hope. And on the other hand, we shared with you about the Shen Yun performance, which showcased the classical dance and music from China, which is actually, you know, without any cultural boundary. Many of them, the dancers, the artists, they do practice the meditation of Falun Gong, and it gives people such a positive energy. And a lot of people, especially after this pandemic, they watched the Shen Yun show and they just saw so much energy, you know, uh, and so much hope to their life. So I think it is, uh, you know, having a lot of impact. So, yeah, thank you, Booker, you, your, your, of your comments. Yes, engagement and persistence, indeed. Okay, let's take a look at uh, on Safe Chat, our friends on Safe Chat, Judy. Judy, you said we are living in a scary and uh, evil time. I think you are referring to the picture that I showed you, book, like uh, our latecomers, like a book. You missed that, but you can go back to watch that uh, very uh, short presentation of the, uh, the, this picture shows the scale of the CCP civ civilians, okay? And... Um, Alan said, thank you for all your share. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Michelle, thank you for sharing. Yes, 
Thank you for your comments, letting me know. All right, so I think that's it for today. Uh, I'm glad that uh, you like this interview, or you have other thoughts. You know, you are all welcome to share that. Um, and uh, so, all right, uh, Booker, um, said, you said thank you, Kathy, and all the crew there. Outstanding programming. Wow. Thank you, and uh, you know, on behalf of our crew, we really appreciate you stay with us. You know, learn about what we have to uh, share with you, and hopefully, it really brings you, um, you know, some value. And if you do like it, please remember to click the like and share it, share the video with your friends. All right, take care and uh, good night. We'll see you next time.